I'm Mark Carroll, and welcome to episode 55 of Carol Pop. Our guest this week is none other than Dave Davies of The Kinks. You don't need me to tell you who Dave Davies is or to inform you of his importance in the world of rock and beyond. But we'll talk about him anyway, because it's fun to revisit this stuff. Guitarist Dave Davies and bassist Pete Quaif started The Kinks in North London's Muswell Hill District in 1963. Dave's older brother Ray soon joined and took charge, and drummer Mick Avery filled out the foursome. Dave revolutionized the sound of the electric guitar when he ran a razor blade through his speaker cone to create the distortion on the riff for You Really Got Me, the Kinks' 1964 breakthrough single. His muscular playing on that song and All Day and All of the Night, among others, inspired bands such as The Who to follow suit. Dave's harmonies with his older brother Ray also helped define the band's sound, and Dave sang lead on I'm Not Like Everybody Else, Party Line, and other songs. Although Ray Davies wrote the bulk of the Kinks catalog, Dave supplied key tracks such as Death of a Clown. Love Me Till the Sun Shines. Suzanne is still alive. Mindless Child of Motherhood. His song Strangers was a highlight of the album Lola vs. Power Man and the Money Go Round Part 1, and Wes Anderson featured it prominently in his film The Darjeeling Express. Dave Davies' standout 1984 track Living on a Thin Line also provided the title for his revealing new memoir. Dave and Ray Davies famously have had their share of tensions over the years, and aside from one time when Ray joined Dave on stage to perform You Really Got Me, the Kinks haven't played together since 1996. Dave released three solo albums in the early 1980s and a fourth, Bug, in 2002. Then he suffered a stroke in 2004 and had to relearn how to walk, to talk, and to play guitar. He did all that and released a new album, Fractured Minds, in 2007. And then I Will Be Me in 2013, Ripping Up Time in 2014, and Open Road with the Sun Russ in 2017. I loved interviewing him in 2013 for the Chicago Tribune and seeing him perform at the club's space. Dave Davies is a mystic and a seeker, constantly searching for answers beyond ordinary human comprehension. He speaks about his telepathic encounter with aliens in 1982. He also is a believer in the higher powers of compassion and love. So a conversation with Dave Davies isn't just a chance to geek out on music questions, though we do plenty of that, sometimes with cosmic implications. Where does musical inspiration come from anyway? A song doesn't exist, and then it does. Is some outside force planting it in the creator's head? Is that how he felt when he was coming up with the profound strangers in which he declares, 
We discuss the Kinks' past, present, and future, including his harmonies on Lola and the recent box set celebrating the 50th anniversary of Muswell Hillbillies and Everybody's in Showbiz. We also address whether it's time finally to retire talk of a Kinks reunion. But even beyond the music, songs, and sibling dynamics, Dave Davies is exploring what it means to be alive. We're all living on a thin line after all, so please enjoy and absorb this Carol Pop conversation with Dave Davies. Good to see you. Good to see you too. You came out with such a revolutionary guitar sound, and I'm wondering how much other guitarists of the era were kind of coming up to you, and you guys were sort of taking notes from each other at the time. Not literally, but I think obviously everybody influenced everybody else. I met when I met Jeff. We just got on as guys, you know, kids, and then we just had a thing and then we got on really well. Tell me this, I've been thinking about this with you, because you have your memoir, um, Living on a Thin Line, and and, and you're obviously a very introspective person. When When do you feel like you've created your best art and how have you felt during that time? Like, are those times of relative contentment or are they times where you're a little bit more stirred up? That and all the above. So sometimes uh, you you can't think of anything. It's great, but it doesn't happen all the time. You don't get inspired every time you open a guitar case. But the thing is that you always have to kind of be aware that it could happen in any moment. A flash of ideas or a thought that really gets hold of you. And a person you meet really changes the way you think. Because that's what a lot to do with creative work is the fact that you, we have to allow ourselves to be changed by, by what we're being influenced by. And that, that's a you know, tricky. It can be. But it's, it's like my brother, right? It's kind of like he must be on automatic all the time. Because <laughs> it's... And you write about what you see and you see things all the time. Yeah, because because he and you have both gone through, you know, highs and lows in terms of life mm. events and, and moods and state of mind and all of that stuff. And I'm wondering whether when you look back at like the music, whether whether you think, oh, the better stuff came when you were a little more in turmoil or the better stuff came when it was relatively calm and you were able to just sort of be a little happier. I think with me, it's probably different for different people, but with me, it's both. It's like sometimes you're depressed and you don't really want to do anything, and and then you find uh, a lot of good ideas come up from that. And like it's like also there's a, a lot of creative people that. Are bipolar and maybe it's if we learn how to work with it maybe it's a common state of mind that we just have to train ourselves you know the mind's a tricky bloody thing you know it's, it's to be handled with care but well, you know who's the boss here the mind or, or me or us okay, is it, who's it in charge as well I was saying, you look back on, you know, songs that you've done, like Death of a Clown and, uh, you know, Mindless Child of Motherhood, Man He Weeps Tonight, uh, Strangers. And and those are songs that have come from someone who's gone through some, 
you know, experience is that you're wrestling with things and and that's kind of mm-hmm. where the great art comes from as opposed to just, hey, I'm, I'm happy again today or something like that. Yeah, I wish I could say I was happy every day, but obviously it goes up and down, up and down. When we meditate properly, we can learn to kind of find an, an even kill in our mind because for some reason the creative people that I like are, are a bit crazy <laughs> but I think we need a bit of crazy we just need to not let it dominate our landscape it seems like so much of your life your life has been kind of this journey toward finding peace and, and you've talked about you know you know meditation and and just sort of becoming sort of sort of aware of sort of the whole of everything, you know, and, and it's not just you, it's like the universe, like you sort of finding your place in the universe in a way. Oh, yes, that's well observed. That's very correct. Uh, that is really, that is the big picture is, is where we're going, what we're singing about, or playing, or, or people we meet. We are trying to find a place in the universe. Or in the you know in the multiverse or whatever or whatever it is, truly definitive answers. I think the answers lie in questions a lot of the time. Yeah, we're, we're all looking for for enlightenment and for truth, and we get little fragments now and again. I think when I was a kid, I was a big fan of science fiction. And music, to me, and science fiction were very, very connected. And then I found out years later when growing up and coming across people like Philip K. Dick and all these incredible vision, visionary, really, who thought of these ideas about somewhere real or somewhere imaginary, or maybe they're both but the same. Yeah. But he had a really interesting brain and, mind or, or soul all through and uh, he said a lot of his work comes from alien beings he said sometimes he sits down a typewriter and then it was then and gets all these ideas and he said one day he realized he was he was just sitting there watching these aliens come in and write the stuff for him. Right. I love that feeling. I, th- I sometimes I think that, um, you know, a lot of that wonderful stuff that Ray's written, and I'm sure it wasn't just wholly him, it was influences that I've probably been helping support all these years. I think we've, I've always been very sensitive to Rose ideas and I think together it's all just build a little inner sanctum of work music well it's interesting because inspiration is such a mysterious thing as is just you know music for instance you know like how is it that there this beautiful melody didn't exist before and now it exists now and people say it's the muse or people say it's just you know inspiration whatever that is and and you know and then it's also like is it an alien force like like literally aliens or is it also just like something that's outside of you that you're bringing in that you're unconscious about and and does it even matter because it's something that's kind of you that was not in you before and then is in you now and and it happens somehow i think it's always there but we have to notice it whatever the influence or the hand or 
the you know, the muse or the thought or you know with take it on board and I think what's one of the most exciting things about living in the present is although it's not very pleasant a lot of the time the information is unbelievable there's so much stuff ideas and dreams and and fear and love and weirdness. So I think we're in very exciting times and it might not be pleasant. <laughs> you you write in uh Living in a Thin Line Living on a Thin Line um about how in nineteen eighty two that you you were hearing voices and you feel like those that was actually a visitation of aliens. And and I'm wondering sort of how that kind of affected you moving forward in terms of how you saw yourself in the scheme of, you know, the universe? I think I had a lot of problems with that because people were saying, oh, it's, you know, it's like I see it all the time in mental homes and mental hospitals, people talking to, maybe those fucking people are real. Maybe we should listen to them, not let them take over, but see what they've got to say. And then judge if it's crazy or you're going crazy. We've always been so quick to judge what we don't like. But maybe in that part of the mind, we need to investigate more. Do you feel like your journey changed after that 1982 experience? Big time. It gave me a lot of confusion. It took me a while to accept that I wasn't going mad. And that maybe all these voices or effects or muses are part of some part of me or a part of, of us as a race of people. And we, always tend, we tend to think of experience as it's just happening to me. Maybe it's happening to us all in slightly different ways. You suffered a stroke. Um, and yeah. so you had to become much more acquainted with your brain in this other way, because that was a, a, an injury that you had to overcome and really do a lot of work to get, uh, get back to, you know, where you are now. What did, what did you learn up sort of about the brain in, in that experience? Everything I needed to know during that year or two, it ended up being rehab period. It's more than four or five years. The biggest, first I learned was um, for some reason we need to find out more about compassion because it can talk to you. If you get used to things like compassion, um, communication opens up and it's trying to help us. You and I talked uh, for the Chicago Tribune in 2013, and, and I remember you talking me through some of this. And you said, because you needed to relearn playing guitar, and um, and you, you said that you would, you would, you would take the guitar to bed with you, and you would smell the strings yeah. that you were trying to, like in every way, kind of. Re it wasn't just a matter of learning how to finger the chords again. It was it was like everything about it. Like the smelling, the smelling the strings really struck struck with me. It stuck with me. It's memory, muscle memory, and we remember a lot of information to smell. Yeah, smell is the most is the sense most tied to memory of any of your senses. Yeah, it's, isn't it interesting? 
not even now, just being aware of it's like meditation, being aware, aware of what you're smelling and what it's given to you. And that was a big thing in my first, what I call alien experience. It might have been a consciousness shifting experience. I don't know. But I found, learned to smell what I was experiencing. I found out more about what it does to my body, brain, and everything else. Hmm. It's a vast, vast puzzle that we haven't even begun to really fathom. When you think back on, you know, being in recording studios early on or being on stage, do you have like a, a sort of a conscious memory of sort of what the smells were in the studio or on the stage? Or if you were transported back, it would probably hit you. Oh, it hit me in a regression or something like a meditation or hypnotic. Regression, maybe, you know, yeah, I'm sure of it. That's why music and art are so, so important because there's little keys to this, what's really going on inside people. When you think back on sort of the greatest you felt when you were making music, is does it tend to be in, in the discovery stage? Does it tend to be in the recording part of it? Or does it tend to be when you're actually on stage performing it in front of people? Everything, all of it, everything. I mean, I, I can recall times towards like an end of tour, Michael. I'm thinking last show in San Francisco or wherever, and um, and I'm feeling really shit. Oh, get on that fucking plane and get go home. And then I get on stage and I look at Ray. And I feel this weird connection, just like of, of joy, of excitement. It may last only like 20 seconds or something. There's something else going on. All those people there would feel inspired. Like some shows are full of shit, but you kind of look and search and wait for these special moments. I know that I can never remember the word for it, but I know that a Zen masters, Zen Buddhists, have experienced a thing which, which, which to me seems like you move into another dimension, or we are moving, but it's like a flash, it's inspiration that lifts, lifts a crowd, masses. It can do. I used to. Long for these little sparks, moments, times in my whole life with, with me and Ray interacting in a certain weird way, or or just people you meet. Yeah, those transcendent moments, and you don't know when they're going to come, and that's part of no, what makes it so special. That's a part of why it works. Some, somehow, it's like something teaching us that we have to not know things to find out stuff and it sounds like writing's a mad person but sometimes it's in the not knowing where the real information is having coffee with a good friend of mine and we were talking about you and he said he said you know dave's harmonies on lola are some of the best harmonies ever like in in any music that's like he's like the harmonies on lola so make that song and and just you know lift it to this other level that like almost nothing gets to oh thank you it's great 
But, um, yeah, I, I, maybe. I, I don't know. I just always knew that um, try and add something pure and do the best you can and driven by those sort of, which come from my family you know it's like it's like yearning to make things alright you know can't, you know make it better make it smoother make it feel it Right. And there's something about brothers and or sisters, you know, like the roaches, you know, is an example of, of, you know, sisters doing it. But when, when, when you have like siblings who are harmonizing with each other, there's like this sort of family quality to their voices, but there's also, they're also like different enough. And there's also just something powerful about sort of family singing together and all of that comes through on so much of your work with the kinks and and obviously there were tensions and everything too but it's like and the, the harmonies that you put down they're never like these kind of precise you know the choir you'd hear with the the orchestra kind of thing it has this very human quality but it's beautiful in in that and, and part of it is a kind of family thing and just the way you guys compliment yeah but it's also that ma- magic world and love we can't really define love but we can use it in all kinds of different ways. And music really responds to emotions in a, in a way we never really understood. Music is such a, a gift. It's a, I think it's an art, uh, imagination of music. A gift to help lift us out of this Maya that we're in. I'm curious, by the way, about sort of early on, when when the Kinks were starting to play, and you had Shel Talmy producing those first albums, how much? What was sort of the creative process like in terms of the arrangements? Like, was he arranging you guys in the studio and saying, "You play this, you play this," or were you guys sort of working stuff out as a band, and then he was sort of you know coming in to sort of polish it up? It's all those things. Yeah, none of them. It's like, it's like you're thinking about who did what or who didn't do. He didn't. Do, I don't want to be vague, but. It's like it ha- just happened. Happened. Let's not question it. And, and we're always in a hurry anyway. You didn't have time to sit down and scratch your ass, really. You know. <laughs> it happened so quickly. And, and sometimes that's the best way. And when you, you have too much time to do things, it can work against you. Oh, we make it faster over things that you wouldn't have bothered with. Do you think there was a difference in the way the Kinks made music when he was producing you as opposed to when then, you know, from Village Green onward, then it was not, you know, it was more like Ray and, and you guys together? Yeah, of course. I mean, just having different people. They're involved in the creative process. It's going to make it sound different. Whether they're actually singing or sitting in the space. Everything in that space is a part of the recording. Feeling, the love, the anger. It's like a movie. It's like a real movie, music. It's got, it reaches out. It's very exciting to think about it in those terms. The music, a lot of the time, comes from the future. Ray might think he's writing a song about Mildred or some woman, but he might actually be extracting information from someone in the future. Huh. 
like at the time the village green preservation society came out and you know and arthur and now you know people look back on those as like those are like you know maybe the greatest albums you guys did and and so I'm in a way the future, the future knew better than the present at that time yeah maybe we, we can't so it's true or prove it maybe we can prove it in the future but and I thought with Village Green when we come back from the States with a tail between our legs what's that phrase I actually felt really comfortable when I got back to England and I thought uh, and then I realised I had to write stuff in a different way and then searched Englishness and what's going on here you know what can I use as gift or I believe we have in music and art to find out what's going on there so it's it was an interesting time the bands that sort of had, including the kinks you know the Beatles Rolling Stones the Who Zombies even these are bands that came in with these R&B influences and they sort of were taking American music and then sort of sending it back um, with this whole, you know, other spin on it. It was sort of British invasion. And then later, you know, like with Village Green, for instance, um, it was it was more of a sort of specifically English experience, which maybe didn't at the time, you know, go over as big in the US. And yet now that stuff is totally embraced because it, it held up and there was this feeling like, oh, well, maybe this wasn't part of the commercial mainstream at the time, but it's like this wonderful music that's very specific in its time and place and uh, and, it, and it transports you somewhere. And look, there's a lot of 60s people and uh, experiment with psychedelics in LA and San Francisco. You know, there's a lot of real stuff in psychedelia. We can't realize that there's a lot of important information in that psychedelic world or place. But, you know, it's down to us to try and learn from it in a productive way. You know, maybe Village Green is wholly psychedelic album. Maybe the creative world is so attached psychedelia whatever that word means who thought that word right because people think of psychedelia as being like sort of mind swirling sound effects and you know filters on your voices and murky you know i am the walrus kind of thing and whereas village green you know is sort of considered this pastoral you know english countryside kind of record a little more acoustic maybe that's a part of psychedelia the psychedelic experience is beauty and serene things Kindness, you know, you know, he's mad and crazy and cranky, but there's there's also soft and nurturing elements in that psychedelic world. It's not oh madness. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I remember talking when I talked to you in 2013. I think that we were talking about your favorite albums and i think you i think you said arthur which i think is also a fantastic record and you played that show at space you played young and innocent days which is just this beautiful song also and you'd sort of said that it really reflected kind of your growing up in a way yeah it did in a way because um of course arthur the main character is about a family member so and the whole story is kind of filters 
through that guy, that character. So that obviously why Ray thought it would be a great film. So visual, the contacts and the, the, the characters and the family and Arthur's friends and so, I mean, it's a vast work, I think. That's never really been, you know, it's about the whole social change in England. Australia and the old people moving from little old England to this big new life uh, in Australia and the differentness and uh, you know it's important for us to explore new territories it's just cosmic cosmically in mind you know in that being in our heart you know there was a, a mystic I can't remember his name he taught in, in mental hospitals and he said if I'm having a very difficult time about what to do, what not to do, where to go, you've got conflicts and feelings and don't know, are you going crazy? Yeah, he would say, hold it and run it across your heart and give it a minute, then see how you feel about making a choice or a decision. Mm. Just hold it in front of your heart. I feel like the Kinks as a band also were sort of mirroring that sense of exploration and adventure on that album. I mean, you 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 guys really stretch out on songs like Australia and Shangri La, which is one of my favorites. And it just stylistically, you just cover a lot of ground, and you sound just like as a band really great and in command. You know, just starting with Victoria and just moving forward, and then you have well, like the- I think the balls of it is. The connection with their family and what these people really meant. They weren't just um, musical notes on the page. They're real people, based on real people, even though, you know. And I think that's the big thing about that album. Ray and I knew instinctively there's more going on. And then then on the next album, Lola versus uh, Power Man, um, You you wrote you had these two songs on there. You've Rats, which is this great rocker, and then Strangers, which is really this song that just totally holds up as just this beautiful sort of deep song. And I'm wondering when you write a song like Strangers, do you get to the end of it and you think, oh, this is like pretty great. I I really got something here. And the first thing I thought of is after um, I wrote Strangers, it was, oh, I've got to play this to Ray and see what he thinks. And uh, I didn't really know a lot about Strangers in emotionally because it kind of seems to just sweep over me. And I took that after going through it again and rewriting the lyrics and adjusting certain bits, you know, as you do, you know, you always change things that you do sometimes. That I thought, how the hell am I going to write a song like that again? (laughs) (laughs) The key line of it is, you know, strangers on this road we are on, we are not two, we are one. It's a profound line. And there's also um, a, a line of and reaches out to people around us. It's a reaching out song. It's not just an insular observation. It reaches out. Right. Where are you going? Do you mind for coming on with that? It's like a, it's a movie. 
and now now there's this massive box set of Muswell Hillbillies, oh, and uh, and everybody's in showbiz, and and I'm wondering, sort of, when you went back, you know, when they were putting that together, kind of what your your feelings were about that period in your life and the band's life. Oh, multiverse of feelings. It's like the backstory of that album is about the kinks, really, and the the family and the people we knew and had to move from Kings Cross in London up to Muswell Hill when they. My family did move. It seemed like a big thing, which it is, it was, but it was still only five miles away. The mm. strange of the notions of even space and time change, but there's a lot of characters in the Muslim Horrible that I'll always be fond of. And, uh, and showbiz is a little bit more like the people you meet on the road. It's like we were singing these songs while performing. So it's kind of a different focus. But right. There's a lot of frustration in, in show, the showbiz album. There's like a lot of, ugh, <laughs> this sucks. Right. Uh, it's really good that we had that footage from um, the film footage. From, right. It's an interesting time. <laughs> It really was. The beginning of the 70s and weird, weird and wonderful people that were influenced. But what was weird about that time, for me personally, that was an awful time for me, spiritually and emotionally. I was going through fucking hell that, through that, that time. Uh, 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 the showbiz tour, and, uh, oh man. It seems like he, he, you, and that you were going through a tough time, and and that Ray was at the time too. That that it was, and, and some of that's reflected in the music. Yeah. Oh yeah. One of my favorite King songs. <laughs> one of Ray's songs is a, a cute schizophrenia paranoia blues. <laughs> right. Because it kind of says what we we're talking about. We, you know, we, have, we express ourselves to, to try and make some sort of sense of what this weirdness in the searching of the answers. I, I, I love that sort of thing. Well, what am I going to do? If you know me, mum, so I'll just do it. You know, and uh, it's in the just doing sometimes things do happen. They can fuck up, of course. Muswell Hillbillies is, is, is a pretty wonderful record. And, and those starting off with 20th Century Man and Acute Paranoia, Schizophrenia Blues, is, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to start an album. A lot of so many reasons for this and the other, but the, the fact that we were so influenced by the blues, blues from America. There's a lot of American influence on those records. Like after your yeah. pastoral period, like absolutely Muswell Hillbillies, and then, you know, everybody's show business, maybe even a little bit more, a lot of kind of New Orleans sort of feeling, R&B, I mean, you know, sort of blues kind of stuff going on, country. Yeah, growing up in England, country was a big, big thing for us because my sisters all played piano and there were older generations of different, Eras, and so they would bring a lot of Hank Williams music into the house, and it seems really weird. This is 
music from America with its humour is like a Cockney London humour. It's like great songs even like I'll never get out of this world alive and and. Uh, which is funny. It's sad, but it's funny. But life is sad and funny at the same time. Absolutely. So I know that people, whenever someone talks to you, they always ask you about Kinks reunion. Is it is it time to sort of retire that question to you know keep asking, are the Kinks ever going to get back together? You know, Ray and I talk about it a lot. We just, you know, we got okay. We got on really well, actually. And, um, you know, it is... Who knows? We want to try and do something, but what, I don't know. There's ideas and small ideas and big ideas. It's probably more, it, I mean, it's more important at this point, just how, I mean, the two of you as brothers as opposed to bandmates, like how things are with you in that respect, you know, everything else sort of comes from that anyway. Well, yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's an awful lot of music that there's, Born out of all the, you know, there's, there's a lot of music that hasn't been used. Maybe could be resurrected, you know, maybe that for another time. Yeah, I think that, again, in 2013, I think there were songs that you'd sort of written and you thought maybe Ray could sort of add something to it and you were sort of envisioning yeah. some collaborations of finishing each other's songs, maybe having your sons, you know, play with you as well, keeping in the family. Yeah, I did make a, an album. I made several albums with my son Russell. Right, ripping up time being 2014. I think that was the last of the studio ones. It was an album called Open Road that me and Russell worked on together. Okay. So and that came out oh, three, four years ago, and it's great working with, with Russell because it's like when we started. Crafting out the idea, I suddenly realised I knew anyway. We worked together before on a thing called the Ashir Project, which was set up to be a, a sci-fi film and, and um, many elements. It might still be a movie. So they were. Um, and I re- realised when I suddenly realised. That Russell had this unique ability to kind of like you know if uh, you want you want to go to a, a town you've never been before and you don't know where you're going and, and you imagine what it's like. Russell's got that ability to sketch out a landscape for you. Mm. So oh, it's for a little map. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah we get away. And that's a gift, real gift. That's what, what arranging and and uh, great writers think like that. They have that belief to there is even in the rest. When you look back on your creative life, you know what is it? What is sort of the biggest thing that you've learned? Oh, I think the, the biggest thing I've learned through all my experiences, you can't take things for granted. If you think, you know, we're, we're so insecure in as a species that this, this grasping for definitive results or definitive endings, beginnings, I don't know. It's like, because we're insecure, it's good to make a search. 
I've never really been hit. You know, it's like um, I remember some, some something that a guy called Anton Wilson, a writer and philosopher, struck on. I thought it was really interesting when he was talking about the psychedelic era and and there used to be this thing and like uh, that kind of bunnyman used used this analogy as well like when they would uh, when you go into a certain psychedelic state there were kind of certain things that happened that happened to everyone that, and like for example the, the white rabbit theory I call it the white rabbit theory people taking that ass oh, oh they find a white rabbit and that's going to take them down this, this inner journey to wherever Anton Wilson realised that Harvey, did you ever see that film Harvey with James Stewart? Right. About the Invisible Rabbit. We're all kind of looking for um, Harvey, you know, to gain access to the inner dimensions or psychedelic world or whatever. But he made a observation that it's not always the same symbol. It might be a tree. Or, or a car, it could be anything that triggers it, uh, otherworldliness rather than psychedelic. Lovely word, but so uh, uh, I like, like his writing as well. So it's almost like that thing I was trying to say earlier. It's when, the, when we realize we think we found a key or an answer or a solution through a symbol or through a, a mental rabbit. That symbol change. Hmm. It's not it's not animals or rabbits, it's something That's what I think is an incredible thing to know if you're interested in in multi-dimensional work. It changes. And you've been searching the whole time. I mean, that's this is basically your journey is that you're searching and, and don't stop. Well, yeah, of course. It's like ever since Walk Don't Run by the Ventures. It's tricked all, all off. It's fascinating. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a treat for me to get to talk to you. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to to share so many thoughts. And there's a lot that I'm going to take take away from this as well and, and think about. And, uh, you know, your music over the years has really been, you know, blessing as well. So thank you. I really appreciate it. And I hope to see you around uh, in person uh, sometime soon as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, Mark. That's all for episode 55 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Dave Davies for going so deep about the kinks and life itself. If you want to learn more about him, which you should, check out his new memoir, Living on a Thin Line, which came out this year in England and is available here on audio and ebook and will be released in hardcover in January. The companion album, Living on a Thin Line, is out on CD and is due on double vinyl in January. It includes a new version of Strangers. Dave Davies also will have two releases as part of the upcoming Black Friday Record Store Day. There is a 7-inch single of his never-before-released collaboration with songwriter Gary Goffin, a song called 21st Century, 
And there's the first vinyl release of Dave's 2007 album, Fractured Minds, with an etching on the fourth side. You also can seek out the 50th anniversary release packages of the Kinks, Muswell, Hillbillies, and Everybody's in Showbiz. And if you work your way backward from there, you'll hit a ton of great music. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake, who's also not like everybody else. I'm Mark Caro. Please follow me on Twitter at Mark Caro at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. And visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, for posts about music, movies, and food, and also this Carol Pop podcast. Please share, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune again next week for another Carol Pop conversation. Thanks. Thanks.